For those of you who don't know me, some important facts is uh, I'm going to turn 50 this year. And um, so I can kind of start looking back over my life, <laughs> maybe see some of the major milestones that have happened. Uh, the most important is I, I came to uh, put my faith in the Lord Jesus when I was 21, so that's um, be about 39 years ago, come this September. A uh, little bit closer is I got married in uh, 2001, so that's like 22, 24 years, 23 years, It'll be 23 years in August. And uh, more recent than that, and, and not as important, so priority-wise, obviously uh, coming to know the Lord, uh, then getting married, probably the third biggest decision of my life was to buy a house, buy a house. And uh, I became interested in buying a house shortly after getting married. I don't know how it works, but you, know, you get married, you, know, you have a house, and you're thinking, you know, I should probably own a house. Now, I, I will probably mention that several times during the message as an illustration. If you're renting a house, it's okay. You know, if uh, you're living in your parents' house, it's okay. If you're you know, living, uh, renting a room and living with somebody else is okay. But for me, I wanted to buy a house. And um, it was a, a long road to it because as I was looking at my income, especially once my wife stopped working because uh, we started having kids, uh, there was a certain gap, right? Uh, there's some recommended relationship between your income and, and your mortgage payment. Uh, rule of thumb, it shouldn't be more than like 30% or so. You don't want to see more than 30% of your income going into uh, paying your mortgage. Um, so I can use that to do a math, and I said, okay, I can afford a house uh, that's worth uh, you know, $200,000, but the houses around me were worth three or $400,000. And over the years, I would kind of get a raise, but the house, price of the houses kept going up too. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll save it to the end when I bought a house. Hopefully, I'll, I'll remember that part. But uh, at the end of the road, when I finally was able to buy a house, um, I, I was surprised by how many pieces of paper I had to sign. Now, part of it has to do with the fact I was taking a loan from a bank, right? And understandably, the bank wanted to make sure that whatever possibly happens, they get their money back. Right? So they make you sign a piece of paper after a piece of paper, and your loan agent kind of explains to you each piece of paper what you're signing. But it's just amazing. You know, I, I think I had to sign at least 20 separate documents uh, to, to purchase my house. And uh, it shows it's, it's a big decision. It's an important decision. And, uh, and you want to know what you're getting into. Right? So I appreciate that. I'm not complaining having to sign all these documents. Uh, today, uh, we will see um, in, in the document we're studying that God was very concerned in warning people about uh, their eternal real estate uh, decision. So for me, this is where I live here on earth while I'm alive, and I'm thankful for the house that I have. But uh, there is a final destiny final destination, final real estate 
uh, that you and me and everybody else uh, in the world has to consider, right? Where will you end up for all of eternity? And um, as we've been studying the, the book of Revelation, we see God is very conscientious about telling people about that final destination, what it is that uh, they should be thinking about, uh, the final decisions they need to be making, kind of like signing a piece of document. Do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand what you are deciding to do? And so as we look at the passage today, we'll, we'll try to think about that. Let me, let me pray again, and then we'll read the passage we have today. Lord Jesus, we want to look to you as we study uh, your word uh, this morning. You know, it's very much on your heart that everybody knows where they're going and what is the decision that they are making. And so we pray that uh, you might help us understand and impress the truth of, of this truth uh, upon our hearts so we could all be making the right decision uh, for ourselves and, and end up in the place you want us to end up, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So with that, uh, turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 14, the book of Revelation and chapter 14. We're picking up where we left off last week in verse 6, Revelation 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. First, uh, we want to think about who these messengers are uh, that we're studying in the passage. And it might be good to even think backward uh, over this period of seven years, seven seven last year of, of the world as we know it, it's really going to be changed somewhat. So it's almost not even going to be the world as we know it, but it's the next part of God's agenda for the world is this seven last years. And uh, uh, God has 
uh, marked or sealed 144,000. Matt talked about them uh, last week, really describing the end of their ministry. Uh, we don't know exactly when God sealed the 144,000 when they started going out as missionaries over the world, but we know there were 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel whom God sealed and gave the special mission of bringing the gospel to those who dwell on the earth. And that's partly because the church will be taken away. Today, the church is, if you would, carrying the torch of the gospel uh, to hopefully every nation, every language. Uh, but the church will be taken away during the rapture, and God will send these 144,000 Jewish evangelists to tell people uh, God's provision for their salvation. Uh, then uh, after that, we know this part happens in the last half of the period of Revelation. There will be two prophets. Two prophets, they will be standing in the temple in Jerusalem, but it appears that they will have a worldwide audience, I assume. They'll be on camera. People will be filming them, using their phones, whatever. Uh, and all over the world, people will hear these two prophets. They, they will have the power to call down judgments on the world. And the people of the world will actually hate these two guys because they will make life on earth so unbearable because of the world's uh, doing these last three and a half years following the Antichrist and not obeying God's commandments. And so judgment will come from heaven at behest of these uh, two prophets. Uh, and then we have these three angels described in this passage, most likely, uh, the timing here is, again, not specific. Uh, this will happen at the very end of the period of tribulation. That's my best guess as, as we've been, we're been going here. It is possible that they had a longer period of time. Certainly, they were in the last half of the period of tribulation because they're talking about those who are getting the mark, worshiping the image of the beast. We know all of that happened the second half. I'm going to guess that the ministry is really at the very end of those, that three and a half years, seven year period. Perhaps uh, what's called the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And we'll be going into the judgments that followed that, the bold judgments will happen in the next chapter or two. So here we are at the very end. God has sent the 144,000. He sent the two prophets, and now he's sending these three angels. And we want to listen. This passage is listen to what it is that the three angels had to say to the world. Right? This is a message from God, and he's choosing to use these three angels uh, to give the message. Okay, the first one is... Um, found in verse 6. It says, uh, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Uh, I'd like to say uh, that this angel is uh, giving us uh, the message that God has already provided a real estate uh, for you and for me in heaven. Right? God has prepared a place uh, for us in heaven. It talks about the gospel, the everlasting gospel. Uh, if we would turn, or the words will be on the back of the screen too, uh, we could find the gospel summarized in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Uh, 
Paul says to them in this letter, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, the gospel message. That's what Paul was about. He was preaching the gospel message. He received it, he believed it, and then he went out preaching it. And here's the gospel message, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. As we were singing about one day, Jesus came into this world and he, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. That's, that's the summary uh, of the gospel. The result of what Jesus did, that's the work of Christ. That is the work that Jesus did for you and for me. He died for our sins. He was buried, and then God raised him from the dead. Uh, the end result uh, could be perhaps seen in Jesus' promise to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1 and 3. This is right before he went to the cross. Uh, this, is, this is the night before, hours before Jesus was crucified. He said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So God has already prepared a place for you and for everybody else uh, in heaven. In his Father's house are many mansions, and he went to prepare the way, and he did so on the cross, on the cross by dying for your sins, being buried, rising again from the dead. He has prepared, he has made a way for you and for me to, uh, for all of eternity, enjoy having a home with him in heaven. What is our response? Uh, the angel says, uh, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. First, fear God. Um, I heard the gospel possibly many times before I was saved. What made the difference for me the day that I, I actually got saved, that I actually believed the gospel? It was fearing God. For the first time, God impressed upon me that one day I will stand before him and give an account for my life. And all of a sudden, I feared because I realized I didn't deserve to go to heaven. I deserved to be separated from God and to suffer the punishment for my sin. So you have to fear God when you hear the gospel message, when you understand that God will judge you for your sins. There is fear. But then you give glory to him. What is giving glory? Giving glory is praising God. Why do you praise God? Because Jesus died for my sins. So I don't have to. As uh, Howard was telling us during the, the message, I get to go free. Now, I don't get to go free to live my own life because there is also the last response, and that is worship, right? Worship him uh, who made heaven and earth. God saved me to be his. Uh, if you would, uh, you could look at it like this. Uh, if we're thinking about the house illustration, 
right? To fear God is to believe that I need a house, right? A storm is coming. Uh, to give him glory is to accept the keys for the house that he purchased for me in heaven and, and, and thank him. And uh, the third response to worship him is to acknowledge the house that he gave me is his house. <laughs> and I should be uh, living according uh, to his will. Uh, why? Because uh, he made me and he saved me. And therefore, he does own me. Uh, but I don't have to pay for my sins. I get to be with him in heaven for all of eternity. I don't, I don't want to go free in the sense of going off on my own. Right? I'm done with that. <laughs> I want to be the Lord's, and I want him to be mine. So that is the message of the first angel. Uh, it's letting us know God has provided for our, the needs of our real estate. I don't have to worry about coming up with... Uh, with uh, the cost uh, of living in heaven. I had, I had to you know, balance my check and see how much money I had to buy a house. Right? That was on me. Not so for a place in heaven. Jesus had paid the price. He's offering you the keys for the home. Are you going to take it and give him glory? Right? That's, that's the choice that those on the earth had who have not yet made their choice. Right? Where the angels are preaching to every uh, uh, nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. He's going to everybody. Everybody has an opportunity to receive that key, receive that home that Christ has for them in heaven. The second angel, we're told in verse 8, said, uh, Babylon, uh, this is his message, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations (coughs) drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. I believe this is the first mention of Babylon in Revelation. But to really hear everything Revelation has to say about Babylon, you're going to have to wait. (laughs) Because we have two chapters dedicated, chapters 17 and 18, are dedicated to, to what Babylon is and what God will do to Babylon. Now, I do need to talk about at least some of it now because it is mentioned, but uh, uh, you, will, you will hear a lot more about Babylon. So let me just you know, summarize with a couple of main points. First of all, uh, usually when we think about Babylon, we think about Babylon in the Old Testament. Uh, you may recall the story of the Tower of Babel. Right? This, this happened after the flood, right? Uh, God made mankind, he made Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God in the garden, and so they were put out of the garden. And then after some thousands or thousands of years, God brought his judgment on the world and and wiped the world, but he saved Noah and his family, and they uh, came out of the ark and started repopulating uh, the world. God gave them a command to, to spread throughout the whole earth. Right? But uh, people didn't want to follow God's command as before. And in Genesis 11:4, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So 
they were rebelling against God. God told them, spread. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to spread. We all want to live together in this uh, you know, happy community. And so they built a city. But they knew people are not going to want to all stay here unless we you know, build this great monument and make a name for ourselves so everybody will want to be close to it. And that was the Tower of Babel. And it seems that there was also the idea that they could somehow build it all the way to heaven so they could somehow get to heaven by their own efforts instead of through God's provision, right? God has provided for us, right? The Lord Jesus is offering the keys for a new home in heaven, but they feel that they have to build their own way to heaven, right? That's the people of ancient uh, Babylon or Babel. And, uh, and then later in the Old Testament, Babylon becomes uh, the, uh, an empire. Babylon it becomes the city or capital of an empire, also called Babylon, which ends up destroying Jerusalem and exiling God's people. So that's kind of the Old Testament story of Babylon. Uh, it's clear in this passage that there will be a new Babylon. And again, chapter 17 and 18 will have a lot more to say about the new Babylon. But uh, it appears that it will also be a center of mankind rebellion against God. And um, it will include spiritual deception. Uh, they, they will have their own system of how to be right with God, how to, if you would, build a tower that will get you to heaven uh, using your good works. Uh, it will be a center of luxurious living. People will be living large in Babylon, and, and we'll see some of that in a passage I'm going to read shortly. And uh, it seems to have also been a center of persecution against Christians, right? So they were uh, killing, known for killing God's people uh, in New Babylon. And so what we're told by the angel is that uh, God will destroy Babylon. It says Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Again, this is speaking of New Babylon because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. God will destroy Babylon because Babylon became this source of deception, deceiving mankind to, to not take God's offer of salvation and instead be following man's own way, which started in the, in the Tower of Babel, disobeying God, really following Satan, uh, man trying to be happy without God, right? Um, if, if I was to continue trying to stretch and follow my illustration of trying to, uh, trying to find the right real estate for yourself, this would be an example of those who are trying to make earth their home, right? Uh, God never intended, after putting Adam and Eve out of the garden, he never intended this world to become a permanent home for mankind. It was a place where mankind has an opportunity to realize God's judgment is coming, repent of their sins, believe the gospel, and then have a home in heaven. So this world is supposed to be a temporary place. It's not the place we should be aiming and focusing our lives on, right? Other than who else can we take to heaven with us, right? That should be a only real focus on this world. Uh, but in Babylon, you have the opposite. Mankind is trying to make a home on the earth. 
All right, we'll, we'll have our own way to God, to heaven, so don't worry about God's offer. And, and we're going to make life as comfortable and as pleasant as we possibly can in this life. And that's what Babylon was about. And so God is judging her, destroying her. I'll just read this passage from Revelation 18. Um, 18, verse 9 through 17, so a somewhat long passage, but it helps you get an idea of, of what Babylon was and then God's destruction of it, of it. So verse 9, Revelation 18, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her. This is describing Babylon, weeping and lamenting for Babylon. When they see the smoke of her burning, this is after God destroyed her, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys the merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. So what is the message of the angel? The message of the angel is uh, you don't want your real estate to be on the earth, right? Whatever, whatever things you heap for yourself, whatever luxury, whatever entertainment, whatever you're trying to put together will be taken away from you. There is no permanent home on the earth. Either, either the home you're building here will be destroyed, like Babylon, city of Babylon, Babylon's destroyed, or you will die and you'll move on. You don't get to stay here. Um, someone has, has uh, made a license plate saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. And someone else said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. Right? You don't get to take it with you. Right? So you don't want to build your home on this world. Right? This is not where you want your real estate to be. Um, the third angel, so the second angel speaks to us of God's provision of his real estate. The second uh, warns us against trying to make a real estate in this world. And the third one uh, warns us about the, uh, I didn't write it for myself, so I don't remember the exact words I wanted to use. But uh, warns us on the real estate you're heading to if you don't accept God's real estate. Where is it that you will end? Uh, he specifically speaks to those who worship the beast. In verse 9, then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image 
and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. Uh, so let me pause there. So that's, that's the sin, if you would, or the choice that the angel is warning people against. Uh, this was a very specific sin that you could only perform during those seven years, maybe even just those last three and a half years of the period of tribulation. In a sense, it reminds me of Adam and Eve taking uh, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a sin only they could perform. I can't perform that sin. I don't have that tree to take the fruit from. In a similar way, the sin that God is warning in this passage against is a sin I can't personally perform because I'm not at that specific time and place. I can't worship the beast uh, personally. But the angel who is going to all the earth is speaking to people who that is their choice. Um, if you remember from uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think Don was speaking about the beast and uh, the false prophets. And um, <clears throat> if, we, if we turn there, the message, should, the word should be behind me as well. It speaks of those who dwelt on the earth. Revelation 13, verse 4, it says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we know the beast, the Antichrist, is going to be a great world leader, and people will naturally want to follow him because he will be the embodiment of worldly success. Right? They will say, who's able to make war against him? Uh, there will be a deception that Don told us about where it will appear that he died and he rose again. Um, he will defeat every enemy that comes across him. He will rule the entire world. So naturally, people will want to follow him. But then on top of that, you have the false prophets uh, coming along, and he will command people to make an image to the beast, so there will be some sort of an image of the Antichrist set up in the temple, and the false prophets will have the ability of enabling that image to speak, and the image will be able to command that those who don't worship it should be killed. So for some people, it might seem like a choice of life and death, and it really will be a choice of life and death to worship the Antichrist, to worship his image. And then the false prophets will also cause people to have a mark put on their forehead or on their right hand, and without it, you won't be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to participate in economic transactions. Right? So again, there's going to be this great motivation for people to worship the beast, his image, and to receive the mark, his mark upon their forehead or on their hand. Right? So we, we understand and the angel is warning them of the consequence of doing it. 
yeah, it might seem like a good idea to follow him, but here are the consequences. <clears throat> so if you turn back to uh, Revelation chapter 4, sorry, chapter 14, and in verse 10, the angel tells them what will happen to someone who decides to worship the beast in his image and receive his mark on his forehead or on his hand. He tells them that he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So before we go into the details of it, you might say, well, boy, that seems like a really harsh punishment for someone who's deciding to worship this world leader, uh, trying to save their lives by worshiping his image and receiving his mark so that he can participate in economical transactions. Uh, but you have to remember, what is it that the beast is doing or the Antichrist is doing? He is uh, blaspheming the God of heaven, uh, his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. He is persecuting the saints, right? He's misleading mankind. So when you worship him, you are following him, you're agreeing with what he's doing, and you're probably helping him, right? The Antichrist is, is not going to be personally killing the believer. He's going to have his followers doing it. He's not going to personally enforce the rules of needing to have his mark, he's going to make his followers. So really, if you are following the beast, you're doing all these things against God. And God is telling you, this is going to be the consequence. So just to break it down a little bit, <clears throat> it's talking about a cup. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Uh, it appears that sometime people would be punished by being forced to drink something that would make them sick or maybe even die. But you could choose to, if you would, dilute the punishment by mixing whatever it is that you're giving people to drink with some water. So instead of giving you 100% you know, poison, uh, I'll just give you 10% poison. So it'll hurt you a little bit, but it won't quite kill you, right? I mean, that was an option, right? If you were the person administering the punishment, God is saying here, uh, it's going to be full out, right? He says, the wrath of God, which is put out full strength into the cup of his indignation. God is not going to hold back his punishment. We were talking today about righteousness, God's righteousness. Uh, what's the righteous punishment for someone who breaks the law? And uh, a judge may have an option, right, of rating things and say, well, okay, because, you know, you're my, you know, cousin's friend, you know, I'm going to give you the minimum penalty for going 100 miles an hour. It's like, no, I'm going to book you with the full consequence of what you've done, whatever that consequence is. And so God will give the full punishment people deserve for their sins against God. And he describes it <clears throat> in the following verse, the full punishment for sinning against God 
is, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Uh, the, the just desert of those who sin against God is being in the lake of fire. Right? The Bible is really clear about it. Uh, it's, it's being burnt with fire. Uh, it's being uh, burnt with brimstone. Brimstone, if I understand correctly, is sulfur. So it means besides for being burnt with heat, you're being burned with chemical, chemical burning. Um, and it doesn't end, right? Uh, I could think of times where I've been burned by fire or by chemical. Uh, for like a second, and it hurt. Uh, what would it be like to be burnt and for that never to stop? What, what kind of suffering is that? That is the consequence of not accepting God's freely offered key to your own house in heaven. Right? You're choosing to reject that, uh, either trying to make a home for yourself on the earth, not realize this is not the place to make your home, it's not going to last, or counting on something else. And uh, the result is you'll end up being in the lake of fire for all of eternity. Why not take God's offer? Um, it talks here about being in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb, uh, what uh, it speaks of to me is the fact that those in heaven are going, sorry, those, those who are suffering in the judgment in the lake of fire uh, will have a full consciousness of what it is that God was offering them. They will remember that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and was holding out the keys for them. And they said, no, thank you. Uh, they'll remember the holy angels bringing to them the messages of the gospel, or people coming to them with messages of the gospel and them saying, no, thank you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. So not only will they be suffering in the lake of fire, they'll have this conscious memory you know, of that offering that God offered them that they said no to. So it's not just a physical torment, it's a mental torment. Realizing, why did I say no? Why did I say no? Why did I say no? The passage closes with uh, the benefit of, of choosing God's real estate. In verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So these were people who lived during the tribulation period. They understood the gospel message and they accepted it. It says, yes, thank you, Jesus. Right? They gave glory to God for what he gave them. And the result was that uh, they were persecuted, they were denied participating in commerce, and probably most, if not all of them, were killed beheaded for the gospel. And yet, here is the patience of the saints indicate 
here is why they did it. <laughs> yes, Jesus said, uh, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. They'll say, well, yeah, I had my head cut off. It was painful. Let me tell you about it. But uh, I'm living to tell you about it in heaven. You know? and, and I look at it with a sense of, of you know, joy because it was something I was willing to do for the Lord. And, uh, and now I'm rewarded for it. Right? Um, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So people who, who died, especially during that time, I think we should also be happy when a believer dies now. Right? I, it's hard, right? If you have someone you love, you're close to, they get taken away from you, you're going to miss them. Right? So I can understand that the, the sadness. But if they know the Lord, they went to a better place. Certainly, they're not sad about it, right? We might potentially feel sad about it. Uh, they're not sad about it. But especially at that time when believers were being persecuted so severely, <laughs> I'm glad to be out of here, you know? Um, they're happy, right? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labor. They don't have to continue laboring in this, this hostile condition uh, and their works uh, follow after them. Uh, I would say they lose nothing of eternal value. We have a, uh, there's this, uh, I think it was a poem written, maybe it became a hymn, um, that I should have written it down. But it ends with uh, nothing that's done, only what's done for Christ will last. Only the things I do in this world for Jesus have eternal value. And you know what? We get to take that to heaven with us. So we leave nothing of value behind us when we go to be with the Lord. Okay. Um, final thoughts, application. I started with the story of buying my house, or rather wanting to buy a house. And how, you know, it just seemed like that price just kept going away. You know, I was getting a raise, but house prices kept going even higher. Uh, there was actually one dip. In, in, in my adult life, after getting my first job, I got my first job in 2001. And uh, at 2007, 2008, uh, the market dropped significantly. I don't know how many of you know. But the house that I live in now was, was purchased for about 700000 uh, 2006, I believe. And, uh, and when I bought it uh, in 2011, it was like a third less. It was like 530000 And uh, so, so the, the house prices dipped, and I got a new job that gave me a significant... So before that, you get raises, if you're lucky, 5% a year, right? Which doesn't keep up with the prices of the houses. But I got a new job, so I got like... 30% raise, because it was just a much better company than the one I was working before. So all of a sudden, I could actually afford a house. But that only lasted. So that was 2011, I got my new job. I bought a house 
about six months after getting the new job. A year later, I could not have afforded the house again. It just went up. It, it went up by another 20% after, in one year. Um, so why am I telling you this story? I believe the same thing happens to people today when it comes to putting their faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, God is continuously offering salvation to everybody. And, and most people are just not interested, not interested, not interested. And God will uh, work in people's lives to try to help them understand the need for the gospel, the need to go to heaven, the need for the Lord Jesus. And, and there'll usually be a period in your life that God brought you to a point where you are spiritually sensitive and you might say yes to the Lord Jesus. And at the same time, he'll bring a person to you who will share the gospel with you or hand you a tract or maybe you'll be listening to something on the radio. Right? And there'll be that opportunity where you're spiritually open and the gospel becomes available to you to believe and you can close the deal like I did when it came to buying a house. And that opportunity might be short-lived and then will pass away. Either uh, you are no longer spiritually sensitive or there's nobody there to share the gospel with you. So... It's, it's a limited time opportunity to receive the gospel. I don't know if that stays for you. I don't know if this message is for you. Uh, hopefully, you've, you've chosen to follow the Lord many years ago. Um, and maybe there'll be opportunities in the future, but this might be your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And if so, say yes to Jesus. The second... Um, application here is for those of us who, who are believers. Um, after buying my house, I, before even moving in, right, as soon as it was mine, I started working on it or, or hired someone else to work on it, uh, replacing the carpets, painting, right, because I wanted, I, I was super happy I had a house, but I wanted to make the most out of my house. And uh, I planted fruit trees. Some of you know I like, I like fruit trees, so I plant fruit trees in the backyard. Um, so again, so I could enjoy my house, get the most out of my house. I would have enjoyed it anyways. Even, even if I didn't change the carpets, I didn't paint it, I didn't plant fruit trees, still, great to have a house, right? Much better than not having a house. And the same thing is about the home that Jesus prepared for you. It's a perfect house Jesus has for you in heaven. And you don't have to pay for that house. He fully paid for that house. He's offering you the keys. But it is possible, if you would, to furnish that house. Right? That's what it says in this passage about the works follow them. Right? Everything that we do here on earth follows us into heaven. We get to enjoy the fruit of it. Uh, it might be remembering the things that we did for the Lord. Uh, it might be seeing the effect we had on people and how we helped people uh, walk with the Lord. It might be somebody that got saved as a result of your, of, of your labors. Um, 
Everything you do here, Jesus says he who offers a cup of cold water to a believer or to a believer, a young person, a little child, <laughs> right, uh, will, assuredly I say to you, his reward, he shall have his reward. Right? The smallest thing you do here for the Lord Jesus is something God will reward you for, and that is going to go with you to heaven. So yes, God, God has provided for you, has given you the keys for a perfect house, but you could spend your life here on earth furnishing that house, making heaven, if you would, an even better place. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your love for us. Uh, we know uh, that uh, you care about each and every one of us. And uh, there may be somebody here who has not yet... Uh, uh, if you would, receive that set of keys for their home in heaven, has not yet received the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we pray for that person. If they, don't, if they haven't feared God yet, if they haven't recognized the reality of their sins and God's judgment against their sin, that you help them understand it now so they can also understand what it is that Jesus did for them so they uh, could be forgiven of their sins. And, and for all of us, Lord, uh, we know we have uh, many distractions, many claims in our lives, and yet, Lord, we want to furnish the home you've given us in heaven. We want to labor for you on the earth so we could rejoice over what it is you've done with us uh, while we live down here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.